Dry runs in this house. Only, only wet runs. Only wet. Yes. So moist. <laughs> the moist. moist. The moistest <laughs> run in the history of podcasting. Hot dog. The gems of moistness. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. You heard it here for the drip, 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 drip. We just we just give general breakdowns <laughs> of like blankets that are kind of damp. <laughs> it's I think a fun just, sick show. <laughs> I think you just made me have a seizure after you said that. I had a penny for every time I heard, but. <laughs> well wait moist or yeah seizures <laughs> yes moist seizures moist seizures yeah. kinky <laughs> welcome to the gems of history <laughs> podcast everybody i am your host jacob shop and joining me as always we have evan roosh the best looking guy in any room at any given time well oh, jeepers creepers wow talk Emphasis about on the jeepers talk today. about a confidence booster i know it's exactly what i needed well, thank you. You're oh welcome. He's, it's you hard can't, to compete with, with, with you. You can't see it right now, but Evan is just like literally glowing after hearing that. Blushing. <laughs> but we also have another very handsome man. It is my good buddy, Casey, and Evan's good buddy as well, I guess. But Ooh, he's my okay, friend. See, you can't yeah. have him. You found him first. You <laughs> found him first. I play volleyball with him. You can't have him. I can't have him. <laughs> Hello, Casey. You one share day, me out. One, one, day. Day. Go around. one day he shall be mine. <laughs> this is the official podcast where we're going to fight over another man. Yes. yes. I've always we... wanted this. <laughs> How do we make our guests uncomfortable? Yeah, right. 101. And I'm going to drink to that. I'm, so. giving con- I'm giving Casey a confidence boost in a completely different way than I did for Evan. That <laughs> he did not ask that he did not ask for. But yes, this is a good buddy of ours. His name's Casey Kemmer. He is on the podcast for the first time today. How you? How you feeling? I'm I'm feeling excited. After now that I didn't, I messed up the audio before. We can nah, do, we do it legit. N- nah, none of that no, ever no, happened. No, 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 no. No idea what you're talking about. Yeah, what do you, this is your first time ever doing anything first with actual. this podcast. Ever so. time speaking to a microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm time. glad to I'm glad to be here. I've always wanted to do this with you guys. Yeah, so we're I'm glad. Excited. Glad it finally worked out. Yeah. So we have been trying to have you on for a while, and you just always slipped away. I'm a very busy guy. I'm hard to track down. <laughs> It's summertime. We're all pretty busy. So <laughs> the true. fact that it worked out now is kind of insane. But yes, we're very glad to have you on. And today we're getting spooky again. Mm-hmm. So I hope you guys at home are ready for it because I know Casey in our talks, because as we do on this show, we always ask our guests for the first time when they're on, what do you like about history and stuff? And I know that I've asked you this outside of the show. You and, have, and you've yep. said that you really like the episodes where we talk about ghosts and and monsters mm. and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yes, the, the gems fun. of horror, if you will. The, Go back and listen to those ones. The real <laughs> stuff. They're good. That's what really got me hooked. Yeah. <laughs> or the gems of horror. For I love sure. doing those, man. Hearing from like the listeners and hearing their stories and stuff. That that's some of my favorite stuff. That first one that we did, I believe that featured the uh grocery store story oh that yeah was fripping, that was so creepy was that the also with like the black eyed children yeah that, the, that uh, was terrifying yeah. yeah i listened to that when i drove down to tennessee for the first time <laughs> last, couple years back, or last year and it was like mm. you were just passing children on the side of the road just like not like, like putting, no, no, putting no, the this. blinders on no, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. not like this yeah. <laughs> i always knew the children would be my downfall <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is why I can't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, have blue eyes, have blue eyes, have blue eyes. <laughs> right. 
But yeah, we're going to be talking about the Enfield poltergeist today. But before we get into that, Casey, do you believe in ghosts? I absolutely believe in ghosts. I don't want to see them, but I'm, I know I accept they're there. <laughs> okay. Have you ever had anything happen um, to you? To or me? maybe to someone close to you or anything? Not really to me. I've had a handful of things happen to just a couple, couple friends and heard stories from other people. I think I was mentioning it before. Um, if you want me to talk, talk about it now, yeah, I'd be happy to. Go for um, it. Let the people get spooked. Ooh. Yeah, we'll, we'll preface this with some creepy stuff. Yeah, I'll put some like very haunting music behind yes. it. <laughs> I'll just be Baby Shark. <laughs> It'll Depending be the, on how scary this or, is. Or the Mario theme song. Or <laughs> oh, man. No, uh, my mom was actually just telling me a story the other day about one of her friends. I uh, had to put one of their, or put their house cat down, and they actually had the, what do you got about the pet guy whoever comes over the vet the vet yeah thank you and euthanize their their pet uh, i guess the cat was like you know, the cat cent. killer <laughs> yeah <laughs> and when they put the cat down the minute the cat went cold it was actually in my my mom's friend's arms the she said she saw the spirit or the whatever of the cat come out of the, its body and was actually levitating above the cat and she was like this is bizarre but she's had things happen to her before and <clears throat> After a while, like she said that she could still hear the cat meowing, even though it's been dead for you know hours after they euthanized it. Which I mean, it's sad, but it is what it is. And in the morning, when they she used to wake up, the cat would be like come up to her face and like meow at her, or whatever, to like wake up or you know do stuff. Get and the fuck up, right? Seriously. <laughs> And I gotta feed. It's <laughs> feeding time. Yeah. You didn't feed me on time, so I threw up on the rug in the li- in the living room. So. Yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> and the next morning, after the euthanized the cat, how many times I say that in a sentence? They um, she heard the cat meowing right in front of her again, and they only had that one cat. So it's I don't know how to explain that, or it's just super weird. But that reminds me of a story my neighbor told me. This is I'm one of. <laughs> Mizuki and I's first walks. Mizuki so, is Evan's dog, for those of you that don't know. Yes. <laughs> He's not walking another human. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was just like just a baby. I think I've had her for like a month at this point. And we're walking, and one of my neighbors stops me, and we get to chatting, and then he's like, yeah, I unfortunately had to put you know my two dogs down. Um, I believe one was two years ago, one was last year. And he said after... He you he euthanized the last one. That two days later, he woke up allegedly with four paw prints on his chest. Oh, that's wild! When the dogs had been, I believe this was, yeah, like a year after he euthanized the last one. But like, yeah, he said that he he woke up with four dog prints you, is, on his on his chest did he just get really drunk and get four paw print tattoos <laughs> and then just not remember them it was it's one of those things that you're trying to be polite to someone when they tell you something abstract but i'm like and like i do believe in ghosts but i'm like but then that one's a little then he starts fetish. taking his shirt off and he's like there, no 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 i don't it's fine it's fine i believe you i believe you, you. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> sir we're, we're right by the playground sir, area this, <laughs> sir this is a wendy's yeah, yeah. put your shirt back down sir. Yeah. <laughs> there's one rule well what a way to start an episode talking about dead pets huh yeah <laughs> what a- absolutely psyched to hear that the spirit went up from the cat though like that is true. That, if it would have gone down, yes, <laughs> just, right? what did oh. your cat do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just 
destroyed Fievel's family. <laughs> he out at the wrong person, I guess. Right, right. But we're not talking about dead pets today. <laughs> we're talking we're talking about a, a family that got haunted for a long time. A full year. Yeah, over a year. Yeah. And they got to there's a new dad in the household, kind of, sort of, for the family, and then they just got a bunch of flying shit going everywhere. You really have to weigh your pros and cons. It's like haunted for a year, got a new dad, kind of. For that year. Also, that dad kept on getting hit by assorted things. <laughs> really, Ghost did not like Legos. No. <laughs> yeah. As we have found out, this ghost did not like their furniture either, so... <laughs> I guess they just are not very good interior designers. But they're good throwers, that's for sure. Yeah, help an arm. <laughs> but as I mentioned, we are talking about the Enfield poltergeist today. And if you've never heard that term before, you still might be a little bit familiar with the story. Because if you're a fan of the Conjuring movies, which I know a lot of people that are into horror movies really enjoy the Conjuring movies for the most part. But the second Conjuring movie, based in the UK, is actually the basis for or the basis of that movie, is the Enfield Poltergeist. So you still might have some familiarity with some of the things that happen in this story. But what you may or may not, or what you may not know about this movie is that most of it actually is based on the real story. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the times they take it and twist it pretty far off from what actually happened, but family did really have a terrible time in the UK in 1977 when this all went down. So there's a lot of evidence in this case. It is considered one of the most well-documented poltergeist cases in history. And as with all of these things, there's skeptics, there's believers. And both sides are about as vocal as the other. So there's... Plenty of stuff out there from people saying it's fake. There's plenty of stuff out there from people saying it's real. But the goal for us today isn't really to decide whether it is or isn't. We're just going to present the facts as we found them in our research. And then you guys can decide from there what you guys want to believe. And whatever side you land on, I think personally that this story is very interesting. And there's a lot of unique activity and it also kind of plays into a lot of common tropes for hauntings, but there's a lot of stuff in this that doesn't pop up in most things. So, And you should let us know what you think of the hauntings on our social media platforms. Oh, putting the plugs at the beginning. At the beginning. This talked time about around. dead I'm pets. I'm ready for this. this yeah, whole, I was going to look right now. <laughs> this whole show is thrown off already. We talked about dead pets, and now we're talking about social medias already. What a transition. We are uh, going way off the rails. <laughs> we have a script, Evan. It's called Structure. Ever heard of it? But uh, today, or not today, just at any time, one, you can find our social media. The daily plot. special. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco, myself at whatevskies. Then you can find us on Instagram at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast. Uh, you can then find us on TikTok at gems of history pod and then Facebook on our discussion group. Uh, just type in gems of history discussion and it's named the Agora. A-G-O-R-A. And let us know what you think about the episode on any of those social media posts. Uh, I'll also be running some polls as well to see, you know, what's the uh, balance of our, of our listenership on who believes the story and who doesn't. 
So be on the lookout for that. Definitely. And then, Casey, do you want to plug anything? Yeah, actually, I have my Instagram, finally. Uh, you can follow me at CaseSpeed07 on Instagram. Heck, yeah. There we He's go. He's going to be posting lots of pictures of his Miata. The Miata! <laughs> <laughs> but, without further ado, shall we get into our main topic for the day? Let's do it. So, before we get into the, polter- the Enfield Poltergeist specifically... I figured it would probably be good to go through different various types of hauntings for people that don't really venture into these waters very often. So everyone probably knows what a ghost is, but they might not know that there's different types. And the two main ones that usually pop up are residual and intelligent. So residual, the first one, you can think of it almost as a VHS tape or a DVD or whatever. I don't know why I went back to like the 80s for this, but <laughs> think, you can think of it as some sort of media just playing on a loop at a certain location. And the idea behind this is a lot of times it's a tragic or traumatic event that happens at a certain location, and then that event imprints itself on said location, and then people will see it at various points in the, in the future from there. And the spirits that are involved in this type of haunting and residual hauntings usually don't interact at all with their surroundings or with people that would see them. And basically, as I said, it's just playing through, and then once it's done, it disappears. But it'll show up again and again and again and again. And a good example of this is, let's say, like a Civil War battlefields I know in the United States tend to have a lot of sightings like this where they'll see a certain soldier walking where there would have been at barracks or something in the past, and then they'll walk in, walk into a wall or something, and then they'll be gone. That's interesting you should say that because I didn't realize it was actually like on a repeat thing. I guess I've, I've listened to a few stories in the past, but I didn't realize it was like the same reoccurring thing over and over. And there could be a little variation to it, obviously, <laughs> but for the most part, it's in the same spot all the time. It's the same guy doing basically the same thing same guy or girl or whoever or whatever but yeah the battle of gettysburg is a classic example of where people see so much paranormal activity uh that as well as the battle of the bulge over in europe (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) 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 nice who's the immature one now (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Done parallel activity at these uh, different historical places. Yeah, and that's just one example. There's obviously other things that could happen to cause it as well. But the other type of haunting that I mentioned, intelligent hauntings, are on the opposite side of the spectrum as residual hauntings. They can move outside of a fixed area sometimes. Most of the time they are still fixed to a relatively small area, but they can do different types of things when they appear. They're not always doing a similar thing to what happened when they died or whatever. Some say that it happens when a tragic event occurs, as is similar to residual, but it could also just be something such as a person died in a house and they have quote-unquote unfinished business that they never got to do during their life, and after they die, their spirit kind of just lingers, exhibits a personality similar to how they were when they were alive, but they're just there to try and accomplish something, and then once they do accomplish it, they can pass on peacefully or whatever you want to say. But the big difference is that 
these have a personality. They're not just a static image or a static moving apparition, you know. And obviously you're, you're telling me, well, what's a poltergeist? That's what we're talking about today. Get to the stuff we need to know. So poltergeists are interesting because it kind of seems like they can combine both of these types of hauntings into one and they can interact with their physical surroundings. And one of the biggest things that's different between poltergeists and regular hauntings is that regular hauntings are usually based in a location, whereas poltergeists are usually based around a person. So it's location-based versus person-based, which means that this is specific to you. I was going to say, because like, I've heard stories of a poltergeist where it's, it's almost like it's manifested from their own self. Yeah. But this story is interesting because other people can actually see this happening. It's not just one person witnessing this, th- thinking they're seeing it themselves, but everyone can see it. Yeah, so you're not going crazy. Just yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Things Who's are flying around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. So poltergeist, the word poltergeist itself is a German word that means either noisy spirits or knocking spirits. And I like knocking spirit because that is how most poltergeists start is with knocking sounds or some sort of tapping and they all seem to follow a similar pattern where they start with knocking the activity will eventually increase from knocks it'll get to louder noises there'll be bangs instead of knocks it can escalate with furniture and other objects moving around the house seemingly on their own even in some cases the people involved will manifest weird voices or people even see full apparitions of spirits but as I mentioned, they generally typify themselves by the physical phenomenon that they can do and centering around people. So those are two of the biggest things you need to remember in opposition to your run-of-the-mill hauntings. Yeah, and we see this in a lot of different hauntings. Like we're going to be diving into like the playbook for this one. But for example, in Virginia Campbell, uh, the case of Virginia Campbell, another very famous haunting uh, in Scotland same thing happens where a lot of knockings happened to start it off. And then in the case of the... And there's no way that was drunk Uncle Bob upstairs running into walls. <laughs> no. And then there's also like the case of the Bell Witch in Tennessee where it started off with knockings and progressively got to scarier activity like the sound of chains being dragged across the floor. <laughs> Spooky. And like other stuff like that. So definitely very common occurrence and a lot of reported hauntings. The poltergeist playbook. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. They, they, a series of events. They got out their little erasable whiteboard of the basketball court and they're like, we're <laughs> right. starting here and then we're going to get to there. Yeah, there's just a coach. Satan's the coach. <laughs> like he's just drawing up a playbook for all these little poltergeists. Got to have some sort of structure. Right. Knock on walls. Check. Check. <laughs> yeah. throw, throw objects. Check. <laughs> and then one other thing that's different between poltergeists and regular hauntings is that poltergeists are usually very short lived. Whereas hauntings can last for hundreds of years. People can see, as we mentioned, Civil War soldiers. So they can last for a long time. Whereas poltergeists usually last, I don't know, like maybe a week to a month at most. But as we also mentioned at the beginning, this one lasts for over a year. So this is not your typical poltergeist. The family that was involved in this story is the Hodgson family. 
the Hodgson family was a very average British family. But in the latter half of the 1970s, the family was kind of going through a rough patch. Peggy, the mother of the family, was going through a quite rocky divorce and was now living in government-assisted housing in North London. And just as an exhibit of how bad this divorce was going for her, it was said that her ex-husband and her four children's father would stop by with his alimony payments with his new girlfriend, just to just to rub it in that he was doing much better without her. Peggy did not deserve that. No, not at all. Not one bit. Peggy is just such a sweet, kindly old British woman, and she is just having a terrible time. Trying to take care of four, four. children. Yeah, four children under the age of 12. So. And they're all getting haunted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and like, not just by the ghost of their father leaving. Right, yeah, right. by an actual ghost ghost. So as we mentioned, there's four kids in the house, and the oldest two are the ones that we're going we're gonna to focus mostly on in this story. Their names are Margaret and Janet, who were 12 and 11 at the time that this started, respectively. And as I mentioned, there's two other kids that just never get brought up, so we're not going to talk about them. But there are two <laughs> younger boys in the house that just, I think it's because they go to, I believe it's Peggy's brother's house for most of this time period. So you just got to send them away. Yeah, it's all about the ladies today. Yeah, they, they can't have a period. So. Late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but really, though, that attracts ghosts. It does. <laughs> As we will see as the story progresses, that is a big factor for some reason. But oh, it, Ghosts it, are weird, man. <laughs> yeah, you could say that again. Older guys are creepers, man. So the house that they now got is on a street known as Green Street in Enfield. And it started off all good, but... Once the summer of 1977 rolled around, things changed for the Hodgsons that would continue to affect their lives until, well, Peggy would die, but some, most of the children are still alive today. It still affects them to this day. Does it really? Oh, yeah. I didn't you, realize it was still going. You can watch the, well, it doesn't physically affect them, but you can tell that like All there's them, like, scars left stress. over from this because in, there's an interview for the Conjuring movie. There's like a little 12-minute thing on YouTube where they interviewed Janet, who is the younger of the two sisters, and she just looks like haunt. She looks like she's in shambles still. Like she looks, for lack of a better word, haunted by this still. So. Oh yeah, she's so timid. Yeah, she's very soft spoken. Yeah. Whereas the start of this, she was a very outgoing and athletic girl. Yeah. Correct. So. Yeah. Every everyone said she was a very energetic and like wild, rambunctious girl, and now she's just completely changed since then so mm. at the end of august in 1977 the strange noises began around the home and it began very light with knocks as most of these things do and then the children reported that their beds were starting to shake at night peggy was like go to bed so children went back to bed one night and after they went into their room peggy went back downstairs and shortly after, heard some very loud noises coming from the children's room. So Peggy puts down her, I'm assuming, cup of tea on the table, walks upstairs to go scold these children for being up past bedtime and making, making quite the racket. And once she got to the room, she found that one of their chests of drawers had moved a few feet off the wall where it was and was nearly blocking the doorway. So if I walked in there as Peggy, I'd be like, 
okay, you knew I was coming, so you tried to block the door, huh? <laughs> think you're real tough, huh, girls? Think you're slick <laughs> over there, huh? Uh-huh. But the kids claimed that the chest moved on its own. So Peggy tried to push it back to the place where it was along the wall, and after she did this, apparently it moved back out again. So she pushed it back for a second time, and the chest was still having none of it, so it pushed itself back out again and planted itself firmly in the middle of the room, and Peggy (laughs) could not move it back again. But that was apparently just the beginning for everything that would follow. So it's starting off on a high note, which is, I I feel like that's a very extreme activity to start off something like this. Poltergeist came in hot, blocking the door, and who knows what would happen after that. They got to the floor, can't even move it. They got a good coach, apparently, (laughs) if Satan's teaching them. Good professor for the Poltergeist 101. (laughs) (laughs) Satan's got his glasses on. (laughs) Just thinking... Just picturing the Prince of All Evil, like with a little like drop down board and a little laser pointer. <laughs> <laughs> He's working on the smart board. He's got to do the dots to oh, realign no, 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 where no, the no, markers no, no, no. go. <laughs> no, no, Hell does not have the budget for a smart board. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're still working with chalk. They got to pay for coal. They got to pay for yeah. all this heating. Dude, so. we complain about our gas prices. Imagine what it's like in the fiery pits <laughs> of the below. <laughs> so. Over the course of the next 24 hours after the chest incident, the strange noises would continue. And things were starting to be thrown around the house now, so the family obviously felt they weren't alone in their own home anymore. Eventually, things got bad enough that Peggy went to the neighbors, who were known as the Nottinghams, to ask for help. Big old Vic Nottingham came back to the house with Peggy, thinking he's going to solve this and calm the family down. But... Upon walking in, he, even he began to experience some of the activity. He allegedly heard knock, the knocks immediately upon entering the house, and he began to go all over the house trying to track down where the knocks were coming from. But once he couldn't find them and he re-entered the living room, he witnessed some of the kids' Lego bricks floating in midair. He even claimed that a few of them flew at him and hit him in the arm, which... It's just a hilarious visual for me because I think, Evan, you mentioned to me that he was a builder, right? Right, yeah. He was a builder and a very big dude, like a muscular but built dude. So just picturing him getting hit by a Lego. <laughs> just like, well, him just like running around the house, like trying to find where this tapping's coming from. It's like, oh, it's not over here. Oh, it's, it's downstairs now. Okay, I'm going downstairs. Okay, oh. And the Lego bricks are floating, <laughs> and that might as well be happening. <laughs> I, am j- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am just peeved. <laughs> so he immediately realized that he's not going to be able to do anything for this family. So he decided, I'm going to call the police. Going to throw it in handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to come in with the billy clubs and beat this ghost. So the police responded to the call and arrived shortly after. And apparently, this activity wasn't going to stop just because the law was around. (laughs) According to one of the officers, a police constable named Carolyn Heaps, this is what happened. She said in her signed statement, On Thursday, 1st of September, 1977, at approximately 1 a.m., I was on duty in my capacity as a policewoman when I received a radio message to Green Street, Enfield. I heard the sound of knocking on the wall that backs up to the next-door neighbor's house. 
There were four distinct taps on the wall, and then silence. The eldest son pointed to a chair that was standing next to the sofa. I looked at the chair and noticed that it was wobbling slightly from side to side. I then saw the chair slide across the floor towards the kitchen wall. It slid about three to four feet and then came to rest. I love that accent. It's so great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so freaky. That's a signed statement from a policewoman. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. And, and she signed it like immediately afterwards. So it's not like there was time in between when she was having different remembrances of what happened. Mm-hmm. Super credible at that point. Yeah. And I feel like you're not going to forget that that happens either way. But right. That's where it's hard to be skeptical on like that happening. Just yeah. Because. It was signed. I mean, it's her testimony even today. And, like, multiple people saw this. And she tried to find if there was anything on the chair that was possibly the reason for why it moved. She spent, like, five to ten minutes looking for something and never found anything. So nothing. she could not explain this in any way. So she even said that when the chair slid across the floor, it levitated off of the floor about half an inch as well. And as willing as these cops were to try and help this family, they really realized they couldn't do anything either. So they wrote up their reports and went on their merry way, leaving the family at a loss again. <laughs> kind of disappointing that the chair wasn't on the ground, so we couldn't get that good... Oh, the good, like, scratching across the floor. Yes. I think that's how it is in The Conjuring 2, which is honestly a good change because it's it, way more impactful. It, it makes it way more, way oh, creepier, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I'm fine with that, uh artistic you know addition if yeah. you will i just think it's hilarious that the cops were there and saw this right. and then they were just like all right you're on your own now <laughs> we were never here <laughs> yeah sorry the poltergeist didn't break any laws um see ya <laughs> adios you're on your own again and then all of a sudden in the background as they walk out of the house you just hear I am so lonely. And then Peggy's sitting in the kitchen on her own next to this chair that's just scooting across the floor. <laughs> yeah. She's trying to eat, just sit down for breakfast and skirt. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Falls straight on her butt. <laughs> no, one of the other chairs tabletops her backwards. <laughs> and then the chair's Get like... Get the chair! <laughs> Get in the square circle <laughs> from the top rope! <laughs> Over the next three days or so, more objects began to fly across the house without warning. Marbles and other toys were said to fling themselves across the room, and then when they were picked up, they would be warm or hot to the touch, which is pretty interesting to me. Can't imagine a warm marble, just something that like doesn't get warm yeah. easily. Unless you're just like throwing them on the stove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless you're just one of those, yeah. Honey, Who, did you, among us did haven't, you uh, put the marbles on? <laughs> <laughs> Times were tough, man. They were they were in government housing. The dad was bringing this new lady over. She probably couldn't cook. <laughs> this was her attempt at cooking. Heat up the marbles. Yeah, yeah, and they just started exploding out of the pot. That's why they're flying everywhere. Yeah, she's like, bloody hell, I thought this was, I thought this was popcorn. She's, she's just a marble woman, I guess. You've heard of the marble man. Now we've got the marble woman. Well, she is single now, so. <laughs> well, she's dead now. But well, she's dead at this now. point in the story, she's single, so. Nah. Pour one out for Peggy. Speaking of single, a local priest came by the house to see what he could do to help. But in the end, he wasn't able to offer the family any help either. 
Useless. <laughs> Thanks, guy. <laughs> yeah, right. There's speaking a guy, a man named Guy Playfair, who is one of the investigators who has joined the case in a little bit. He said that the family had no idea what was going on at this point by all of his interviews with them. The girls and Peggy had no idea what a poltergeist was, and were even have said to refer to the activity as the polka dice after they had been told what a poltergeist was, which makes it so innocent, way more cute, yeah, <laughs> much more playful, yeah, just, trying to make light of the subject that you're I, being haunted. I guess if you <laughs> if you're going through a very torment filled time, just call it the polka dice, lighten it a bit, yeah. The Hodgsons really had no idea if this had happened to other people before, and they knew no way to really combat against it. And things got so bad right at the beginning that chairs were beginning to throw people off of them, as we mentioned with the table topping shenanigans, and furniture was starting to tip over. And Guy Playfair said in interviews afterwards that it was pretty much as if the entity was reading a script on how to conduct a poltergeist case. So, Satan's doing a good job, I guess. Satan's in the background, like... You're right. I have nothing left to teach you. Sticking to the formula. Yeah. Sticking to the formula. He took him in at halftime, and he's like, you're doing great, just keep it up. Right, we're, we're, we're done with the first quarter, let's go, we gotta keep it going. Yeah. Right. Like this as, is the championships, guys. Yeah. As kids, like, for math, we learned PEMDAS. Yeah. Like P-E-M-D-A-S, yep. like the rules of math. Like for, for Satan's just, like, spooked, spooked. Das, spookum. <laughs> spookum. <laughs> All right, today we're going through spookum. All right, this is a really long acronym, Satan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you questioning the Prince of Evil? <laughs> yeah. So on, by the time the 4th of September 1977 rolled around, the Hodgsons and the Nottinghams decided to reach out to the press in search of help. They pretty much hoped that the press would be able to report their story and someone who saw the report would have experienced something similar to what they were going through and maybe know how to help. So eventually, they got through to the Daily Mirror, which is a pretty large publication in the UK. And Daily Mirror eventually fielded their calls and sent out a couple of field reporters, a man named Douglas Bentz and a photographer named Graham Morris. Before they left, the two men really were not briefed on what was going on, so they were just kind of sent in blind. But once they got there, they could see that whatever was going on was scaring the family in a very real way. Douglas and Graham differ slightly on the sequence of events, but the gist of the story is this. Once the two of them arrived, Graham says that he and Benz were to enter the house first, alone, before the family came in, pretty much just to establish a baseline, kind of see if there was weird things happening, and if there wasn't, then there's nothing to report. Eventually, after they had gone through the house, the family would return home from the neighbors and would join the reporters. While the two reporters were inside, nothing really happened. And according to Bentz, it was when they were leaving, but it, according to Graham Morris, it was while they were still in the house, the family arrived back in the house and things immediately started to pick back up again. So as you can see, it's already attached to the family. The girls, the Hodgson girls, began to scream, and Graham Morris claims that he started seeing things begin to fly around the room. He said he got as far back into the corner as he could so that he could photograph as much of the room as possible when a Lego brick flew at him and hit him in the eyebrow. 
pesky Legos, man. <laughs> always <laughs> flying all over the place. You usually get scared of stepping on them. Yeah, you, know, you right? thought them hitting, your face. hitting you in the face. <laughs> right, you thought them having the low ground was bad. Wait till they have the high ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> According to both of the reporters, though, neither of them could see how anyone would have been able to throw it at that angle and with that force that was in the room. So, unless one of these girls is just MLB quality pitching <laughs> speeds with Legos and is very accurate, I don't think that anyone in this room is really going to be throwing a brick hard enough because in Graham Morris's interviews after this, he sticks to the pretty much the same line every time he talks about it. And he's like, yes, the, the Lego brick hit me the corner of it it was pretty sharp and it, it hit me right on the eyebrow and it, it hit me going at such a speed that it left a bump for a few days so that thing was moving yeah an actual bump from a lego from a girl like on a grown man too right i, I couldn't even throw a lego like right now and try and leave a bruiser or welt on someone's face. I couldn't let alone... And in our first video segment, we are going to practice. <laughs> yes. I couldn't let alone, like, hit one of you two from That's oh, three thing. feet yeah. that were... Much as even hit someone. Yeah. Hit it, like, so precise and, like... Right. Right. If, someone, if someone does throw it, you would think that there's a recovery motion after the throw that someone's going to be able to see. Right. You'd see someone yeeting a Lego block across the room. Oh, too. yeah. And after they hit him, at least giggle. Yeah, I would <laughs> right? be dying. I would be I, on the floor. I would have lost it. Yeah, there's no way I'm keeping a straight face after that. Not a chance. Douglas Bence and Graham Morris left that house on that night, totally believing that something was off in the Hodgson house. They didn't really know what was off, but once again, that they, they agreed that, as everyone else could in the past, they couldn't do anything to help. <laughs> <laughs> following a trend yeah as you can see the hodgson's are striking out very badly (laughs) but with more new people joining the case and at least becoming concerned for peggy's well-being the daily mirror did reach out to the society for psychical research in an effort to find someone who could help the family and evan has a little bit of research on what the as we're going to now refer to it as the spr is because it's kind of important to know, I feel like. Right, yeah, the SPR, very cool organization. To sum it up, just imagine it's the not-as-cool Kingsman, and it's also just for paranormal activity. So in the second half of the 19th century, so you're talking the 1850s and beyond, this is when spiritualism really was introduced as a religion in the what is now the United Kingdom, but in England and more and more people were starting to have paranormal claims such as seeing apparitions, uh, having clairvoyant visions, basically predicting the future through dreams as well as just there was an increase in what we refer to as like psychics and mediums and all that, all that, you know, stuff that's affiliated with having like a third eye, which is crazy because we're only a hunt, like a hundred and, 80 years removed from the witch trials that were going on yeah, still. That so, is pretty wild so all of this it. now is like popular right yeah. became cool yeah <laughs> except and the spr made it not cool yeah yeah this uh gaggle of nerds if you will oh, yeah. uh they basically formed a society in february 1882 to determine if these different accounts could be explained through science. 
So basically, they went around and tried to debunk a lot of these different mediums, a lot of these, a lot of these different apparition sightings, these people having dreamed predicting the future. They would go and visit and basically try to explain them in natural ways instead of letting things get a little too out of hand with the more popular ones. And that's a huge thing for the entire spiritualism movement in general is how many fakes there were. One of the most famous ones is, I believe it was in New York, it was two sisters known as the Fox Sisters, Yeah, who faked almost everything that they did, mm-hmm. but they got super popular. Interesting. And Harry Houdini, at the time, was going through America and going through all of these popular mediums and stuff and just debunking them all, because he didn't believe in any of it. And eventually the Fox Sisters retired, and then one of them came out and said, in a giant thing, she's like, I'm coming out of retirement, come to the show. And she just showed that she, how she faked everything pretty much. And Interesting. pretty much exposed herself. So it's very weird. But yeah, there was a lot of frauds. So it's a, a good thing that there was people investigating. Those were two mediums that were doing that? Yeah, there are two sisters that claimed to be mediums. Oh, and sure. they just had a really good way of setting it up so that people wouldn't be able to tell. And to just wrap up on SPR, it was mainly founded by people that were connected through different family ties, like the more noble class, if you will. So a lot of the originators of this group came from you know family money. So it's not only a gaggle of nerds, it's a gaggle of rich, rich nerds, nerds. Rich yeah. nerds. Which sounds like the most pretentious and boring thing group of people I want to be associated with. Really dedicate time to it, though. If you come to work and do anything, you just got that money. You're just getting left and right handouts from mom and dad. like. And they were going out to expose mediums and psychics who were probably just doing it for a quick buck. Yeah. Who need to like just right. get money. Did you want to continue your education? No, mom. I want to go out and hunt ghosts. ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Give me $300. Do you want, which at the time would probably be like oh, a house. lot of money. Yeah, literally that would be house money. But, yeah, so that is kind of a little background on what the SPR is. One more thing on the Society of Psychical Research, and one of the, the do- or pretty much every documentary that focuses on the Enfield poltergeist, there's a woman whose name is Mary Rose Barrington, who is a very stuffy old British woman, and she's a member of the SPR, and she describes the SPR as a group that is set up to investigate those faculties of man, real or supposed, that are not explicable on any generally recognized hypothesis. It doesn't have any fixed ideas or opinions, and anyone can be a member whether they believe in paranormal phenomenon or not. Which is interesting, because it is pretty close to half and half on skeptics and believers in the group. So there is people actively trying to debunk it, and there's people actively trying to prove that it's real. So you get both sides, which is interesting. Probably a good thing to have, honestly. Oh, for sure, yeah. Great perspective. So yeah, that way real. you can never get groupthink yeah. with yeah. one of your, like, in the organization itself. What are you talking about? Groups of like-minded people getting together and doing something stupid. They've never done anything wrong. You stop it, sir. It really never <laughs> happens. So the SPR got the, uh, the notice about this case, and they sent it out to all their members, and eventually a man named Maurice Gross was picked for the job and set out to see what the story was with the Hodgson family. By all accounts from other members, Maurice set out in a genuine effort to help the family and wasn't seeking any fame or money from participating in the case. 
And one of the main reasons that he did take the case is because he had just recently become interested in the paranormal after some strange occurrences followed the death of his daughter. And his daughter's name also happened to be Janet, which is the main focus of our story. So it's just a very, very weird synchronicity. Very coincidental. Yeah. New guy on the job, and he's ready to go. Yeah, he wants to just dive right in. And he is the most British-looking person in the world. Like, he's got the curly Q mustache. Yes. He's got the, the friar tuck haircut with no hair on top. Like, this guy looks like the most kindly grandfather in the world. That's awesome. Like, you want... I was about to say, you want to get a butterscotch candy from this guy. But I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's a little... Whenever little I see far. a kindly old man, I want candy from him. You're right. Excuse, excuse me, Maurice. It's led me into some very sticky situations, but I've gotten out. Yeah, I can still tell... Still here to tell the, tell the tale. Almost immediately upon arriving at the Hodgson house, Maurice Gross began to witness a lot of the same activity that the previous witnesses had. And one interesting point that was made by one of the parapsychologists in one of the documentaries brought up an interesting perspective about the witnesses in this case, because so far we have the neighbors have seen it, the police have seen it, newspaper reporters have seen it, and now paranormal investigators have all witnessed what was going on in the house. So it's not just the same pool of witnesses, it's not just paranormal researchers, or it's not just the family. There's varying degrees of witnesses at this point, which is very interesting, because usually you don't get that in these kind of cases. Yeah, usually it's an old priest and a young priest. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like everyone else that comes in, the, the family tries to get something to happen, and then nothing happens. They're like, well, I guess there's nothing going on here, so I'll see you later. <laughs> According to Maurice, the marbles that were shooting across the room would not bounce when they would fall from heights near the ceilings, but would instead simply drop dead on the floor. So pretty much just like a magnet hitting another magnet and stopping dead. That's my most interesting fact from this, or this story is the fact that they were just like, like lead, lead balls. Yeah. And hit the ground. Like, no bounce. No bounce. Nothing. Shooting out of that sauce pot at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, all right. They're also very, yeah, like, they're very steamy still. Yeah, don't right, don't still pick them up. Warm. Peggy's chasing them all down. Yeah. Liquid In oven mess. Watch the marbles. <laughs> That's dinner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Children, you might need to wash these. Marbles with the side of Legos. <laughs> and a cup of tea. Maurice also heard the signature knocks, and he decided that when he showed up and heard the knocks consistently enough that he was going to try and use these knocks to his advantage. So he decided that using these series of knocks, he was going to start communicating with whatever this entity was. His method was he would ask the spirits questions and then tell them to respond using one knock for no and two knocks for yes. And lucky for us, since this is one of the most well-documented cases, a lot of these sessions were recorded, and we still have a lot of them that we can listen to in the public domain. And the following is some of the question, an example of some of the questions that Maurice would ask. And as you listen to this one, you can hear that after he asks one of his questions, there's a big whooshing noise, and the family starts to freak out. And this is because after asking his question... A box flies across the room and hits Maurice in the head. And so now it's just trends of just 
people getting hit in the head by square things, I guess. And that's another parallel from the Virginia Campbell case. <laughs> in a different conversation, we uh, talked about how she got hit in the head by a frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about this. And like this stuff would only happen to Virginia Campbell too. So, so everyone else, no one else knew. <laughs> this is like being on the set of Jackass, but there's only one person that you know is the target of everything. It sounds like it's just straight up naked gun. Too. Yeah, like it's just the the giant hand from Jackass waiting in the mm. doorway, just coming to well, bam! people. But also like other stuff that would fly around in the Virginia Campbell case, like an apple would just jump out of the dish, and Virginia ate the apple. After it, and then now shortly, she's the ghost. then yeah, then shortly after, three other apples shot out. <laughs> Eat these now too, and then a piece. Of so she's ch- just fresh, fresh out of apples. Cause yeah, she- and then like again, the pot. <laughs> <laughs> this chick just cannot catch a break. No, 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 no. I guess and- you could call her a pothead. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, and that is the end of this episode. (laughs) Gonna have to call you a bell because you're such a ding dong. Oh, okay. That was nice. That was that was good. (laughs) Back to back. But yeah, I'm gonna play that recording for you guys. You did die this year, right? Now, why are you in this house? You shouldn't really be here. You understand that, do you? The politeness is just... You understand that you really shouldn't be in this house. You do understand you shouldn't be in this house. You do. That was, again, two knocks. It's lively. It's now doing the rat-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you having a game with me? Oh, right. As I ask the as I ask the question, are you having a game with me? It threw it threw the the cardboard box and the pillow right on my face. Oh my god! <laughs> right on my face. It's doing the rat-a-tat-tat. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it, it's pretty interesting because you can you can hear the sound of that box come yeah. like flying across the room. Could the ghost not find anything else other than the pillow though? Like I know he's the, very. Some... He was so polite though when he asked his questions. You know, it wasn't like a chair. No more chairs. <laughs> yeah, flying more chairs. Right. <laughs> In all reality, yeah, this ghost has just been very like he's only been throwing Legos. He's only been throwing little cardboard boxes or pillows. I guess you could say sliding some in, chairs. I guess you could say that Maurice oh Gross got into a uh, boxing match oh with the God. entity. <laughs> We're uh, all right, and, and after, now now the episode is <laughs> over. And after and after that, they had some pillow talk. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> If the ghost the, felt bad, the dirty, yeah. the, the dirty <laughs> poltergeist. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the first time they were able to see it. Wow. <laughs> so as you can hear, there's a lot going on at the Hodgson house, if you couldn't pick up on that already. And as such, Maurice Gross asked for some backup from the SPR in his investigations. And this is where the aforementioned guy, Lion Playfair, enters the enters the team. So his book that he wrote three years after the events called This House is Haunted. No scruples about what it's about. Very on the nose. (laughs) 
covers the investigation of the Enfield case from beginning to end. And it's one of the main sources that people use now when researching the case today because he documented everything pretty much step by step. And it's just a very good, cohesive thing to use to research, which we didn't use for whatever reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> we like to watch YouTube videos. So Guy Playfair came in with plenty more experience than Maurice. As we mentioned, Maurice was kind of the new kid on the block, the, the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, happy-go-lucky investigator. And Guy Playfair was kind of the, the ruffled agent that's been on the force for a while. And <laughs> he's like... 15 days from collecting his pension or something like gets, that. And he gets paired up with the young buck. Yeah. Oh, God. They got to they solve a murder. For one last ride. <laughs> yeah. Little did he know that that 15 days would be 15 months. Joke's on him. So according to Playfair, when he got to the house, as is to be expected, the atmosphere was utter confusion. <laughs> and also around the time Playfair showed up, question about Peggy, the mother's motives, came into question. Because there's people wondering if she was using this as a convenient excuse to move out of their current house and into a better one. But Playfair was smart, so when he got on the scene, he attempted to trick Peggy by asking her if she would like him to request that the family be moved. But when he requested this, Peggy refused. Because she said she wasn't leaving. That was their house. And plus that poltergeist seems very attached yeah they, they move and it just follows them around yeah. like when they left the house when the reporters came and nothing happened but then they came back and everything started happening. everything again. happened which if you're a skeptic could just mean that the family's just playing playing tricks mm. but if the thing is real it is following the family for sure so this also began to put doubts into the minds of investigators and other aspects of the case as well because now the media was breathing down their necks on September 10th, 1977, the Hodgson story became front page news on the Daily Mirror, which was quite the strange occurrence for a large news outlet like the Mirror. Because as uh, the two men that came earlier mentioned in the documentaries, stories like this, ghost stories, paranormal stories, they usually make like a little column on like page 10 or 12. They never really make it to the front page. So to have this be the story in a paper is pretty crazy. And it's going to bring a lot of attention to the Hodgson's. Right. One of the major papers in England, even. Yeah. Like Enfield is a suburb of England or of England in London. Of the entire country. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So this isn't just it's North London. So it's not not a super populated area because it is outside of London proper. But. It's only an hour from downtown London, so not too far away. But this unique scenario put a lot more pressure on the family because some of these outlets that were now picking up on the story were dead set on exposing the activity as a hoax. According to Guy Playfair, at least two of these outlets approached the girls, meaning Margaret and Janet, with large sums of money to bribe them into admitting that they were faking the poltergeist. But... Both of these outlets were refused by the girls. And to a lot of people looking at this case from the outside now, don't really understand why these outlets wanted to make an expose trying to debunk this, because it would make a way better news story. And this is according to that same parapsychologist that I talked about earlier with the different witness pool. His name is, ah, I'm going to forget how to say his name. 
Kirian, I believe is how you pronounce his name, Kirian O'Keefe. He said that it would make a way better story if the poltergeist was real. Mm-hmm. So why would you go about trying to debunk this instead of hoping that this is a real story and then getting front page news because you have legitimate evidence of a haunting that's never really happened before, so that kind of be a big deal. The only justification that comes to my mind is that that like the particular newspaper would want to brag that we were the ones to uh, debunk the case. Yeah. But other than that, sure. yeah, I totally agree. Like it makes better TV, better head TV, better stories, <laughs> better newspapers. If the uh, headline reads like ghosts on rampage instead of girls play prank. Yeah. Girls heat up marbles and throw them. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, mother that's, mother that's can't cook. Yeah, mother, <laughs> mother can't, can't cook. cook. <laughs> but even if they did get the debunk headline, after that, everything is just going to die down. That'll be your one, your one mm. good thing that you did, and then everything else will fall apart. So mm-hmm. you're, you don't really have any longevity there. Nonetheless, the validity of the girls' involvement was now coming into question. And according to many of the researchers involved in this case, the girls were most definitely involved in faking some of the phenomena. And this is fair because by most accounts, the girls did enjoy the attention they were getting. And they also enjoyed having Maurice Gross around because he sort of filled the role for stand-in father figure for the children now that their actual father was running around with some new girl on the block. Who also probably couldn't cook. <laughs> well, maybe that's why. That that's could have been why he was. left. So he looked for someone that could cook. Mm. She was a really good Lego thrower. That's what attracted yeah. him to her. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just a marksman. She'd fit, in, <laughs> right. she'd fit in perfectly with this family. Yeah. She just gets married to Peggy, and then it's the whole thing. Then the father's left out. Yeah. <laughs> then him and Maurice Gross start going out. Oh, it's a whole so, thing. It's a whole. <laughs> <laughs> Guy Playfair himself admitted to catching the girls in the act a few times when they were playing tricks. But he also said that he expected this to happen from young girls in this sort of situation. Because when you think about it, Casey, you're, you're an 11-year-old boy. You're hanging out at home. There's a bunch of people coming through. There's newspaper reporters. There's, there's all these hot police officers coming Ooh. in. And, <laughs> and you're, expected, you're, expected oh, to no. not, <laughs> you're expected to not play pranks when all this weird stuff's happening. So That's you could just, not going to happen. You could just play it off. You'd be like, ah, it was the ghost. It wasn't me. Right. And yeah, they'll major... never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could just be like a coping mechanism, too, yeah, for true. the girls. Just that they, they called it polka dice before. Yeah, <laughs> like right. They're just trying to keep their own sanity. Well, and they're just trying to be normal girls. Right. right? Yeah. Like, all true. these people are around. But one example that Guy Playfair gives is the girls hit his tape recorder once, and they tried to play it off as the poltergeist hiding it. But they made one fatal flaw in their planning and forgot to hit stop on the recorder. So when Guy Playfair went to play the tape back, he heard Janet and Margaret discussing how they were going to try and dupe the investigator with their prank. In an Ocean's Eleven type cutscene where they just go over the plan. <laughs> yeah. Did not go through all of the steps on that one. They do not have a good coach on their side. <laughs> no, they're going up against Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Outside observers began to question Maurice Gross's involvement as well, since he was spending so much time with the family. And since he's a new guy, he pretty much wanted to believe that everything he was seeing was true. I mean, if you're fresh to this type of scene and the first big case that you take is as lively as this one is supposedly 
like supposed to be, then you're probably going to start buying into it more quickly than a seasoned investigator who's seen some of this before and maybe had found the explanations and has a way of dealing with it rationally. So I don't know. I understand why he would want to be a believer. He got close with the family. Like you mm-hmm. want to believe people that you, you trust and have a, a relationship with. Yeah, for, for real. Yeah. Like he was there for over a year. Correct. So yeah, got probably really this is part of his life yeah. too, like entire year of his life. So he wants that to definitely be worth something. Exactly. Yeah, who would want to be like wasting your time on something that's fake? Like, can you imagine? <laughs> just an entire year trying to track down the origins of these marbles, and it's like not nah, just, <laughs> it's, it's just the just kids. Throwing, throwing I love how you. there's just entire furniture pieces being moved, but we're like, nah, the, mar- the marbles. Right, the marbles are the keys. <laughs> yeah, the, the the furniture is just like clumsy kids, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that I wanted to bring up here is. There's a lot of cases, paranormal in general, where it could be aliens, could be Bigfoot, could be a ghost like this. But there's a lot of cases where people tend to juice the story, like the people involved like to prop it up as something more impressive. And a lot of the times they do that by setting up some elaborate fake in the situation so that they have some sort of evidence that they can give to someone and say, look at how crazy things are in this case. You guys should definitely put your eyes on this and like get more people behind it. And they're well-intentioned. They just want to get more attention to the case and maybe get more funding, get more people of higher repute to follow the story. And then they can get just in general that science or undiscovered science more well respected and a lot of the times it just tarnishes everything i mean you're putting out fake evidence so obviously you're just giving the skeptics more gasoline to throw in the fire and you kind of do see that with a lot of the cryptology examples i would say cryptozoology <laughs> oh my god it's gosh. a big word <laughs> cryptology that's just like just seven bros <laughs> Seven bros talking about cryptocurrency. <laughs> or that, yeah. I was imagining, like, the crypts. Ah, uh, yeah. Creatures from the crypts. <laughs> but, uh, like, for the Loch Ness Monster example, like, a very famous photograph came about where it was just some guy taking a photograph if of If you a tell toy. me Nessie's not real, I'm going to slap you. Nessie is not... Not real. Not real. Oh, nice. <laughs> I see what you did there. And then also, like, with Mothman, like, in our Mothman episode, that's, like, another highly, like, a lot of skepticism on whether there's a half-man, half-moth just running around West Virginia. Um, But it's a lot different in this case because the family just doesn't get any benefit from this. Like, the kids, especially Janet, got bullied a lot at school. Like, I'm sure some of the attention initially was neat, but like she was called a lot of names, like Ghost Girl, like kids put... And depending on your situation, you could just feed into that and just wear a sheet to school. You, yeah, it you could be Halloween. Oh, every, every, her Halloween costume was round. a... Oh, Halloween right? costume was a 
Easy dunk. Just chucking marbles around would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you bring a lunch from home today? And it's just marbles. Marbles on the lunch table. But like the kids also put flies like down her shirt and just mess with her in a lot of different ways. So I don't know. It's and like like we mentioned earlier in the episode, she's still so timid about this and so affected by it that she's just so quiet and looks like she's on autopilot when she speaks. I mean, if that was fake, she wouldn't still be looking like that or reacting that way now, mm. I feel like. It would have been long tapered off years ago. Yeah, and her, neither her or her sister's stories have changed in right. the, the 40, 45 years since this happened. Mm. So I don't know what benefit she's getting from saying that it's still real right. at this point. And I get, like from the skepticism part, the fact that the sisters themselves said that some of it was faked. Like, I think they, in the interview, she said maybe 2% of the activity was faked. But just that 2% already just gives so much ammo to the skeptics. Yeah. Where, like, I'm, I like, I'm even skeptical of some of the things that, that may have happened. Like, I remember there was. We're not supposed to take sides, Evan. Oh, we're just presenting facts. Presenting facts. (laughs) But, uh, I don't know. It just seems like a very illogical thing to make up. Yeah. Considering you get no benefit from it. I know I saw a quote also that they didn't want to really talk about it until their mom passed. Yeah. Which happened in 03. 03, yeah. Um, But yeah, that's still. It's, yeah, and I understand why they wouldn't because from accounts that I read, Peggy's health was really affected by this. Like, she was Mm -hmm. not doing very well. She was pretty sick for a while. And yeah, she still lived for... 26 years after this so she still lived a, a good amount of time after but she never moved out of the house like it oh she stayed in the house she lived yeah. in the house wow. the, yeah and that's another point uh in my opinion towards favoring the case it's being real it's that she didn't want to leave the house and she lived there her yeah. entire life but like she's living in a constant <clears throat> reminder of something happening there so even if they don't bring it up, she's always going to see something that's going to be like, oh, that marble was never there before. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it's a weird case. And one thing that we should also talk about is just now there's constant rotations of people coming in and out of the house. Like, these girls can't even live normal lives. Like, Yeah, there's no privacy. No. Every time they go home, there's a reporter, there's a camera, there's a tape recorder. <laughs> yeah, people are always trying to talk to you for an interview. They're trying to take your picture, and they're you're trying just... to offer you money. Yeah, like, they're, yeah, they're, they're bribing you. you. <laughs> yeah. So it's just I don't see how ruining an entire year of a formative part of your life for a fake is really worth it. But I guess people will do anything for attention, as you can see by various internet videos that you can search for anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, seriously, I don't know it. There's a lot of ammo for both sides, and as I said at the beginning, both sides are very vocal on what they believe. So, mm-hmm. so during this firestorm of media people being around, the activity really didn't cease to go as hard as it had been going the entire time. Uh, Satan was really pushing his guys to not give up in the before halftime really just <laughs> stick it to them telling them to dig deep yeah <laughs> you don't you you want to put them in the ground before halftime give them no hope in that locker room do you say put them in the ground <laughs> yeah put them in the ground just bury them yeah bury <laughs> bring them. him down by us bring them, down. Down. bring them home 
wrap curtains around their necks. <laughs> and foreshadowing. As we're just about to get into, there's a, I have a list of some of the different witnessed events that supposedly happened in this time period. So slippers were flying across the room at Maurice Gross. So he's just having a terrible time. Great target. Yeah, he, he's too old to dodge. <laughs> <laughs> Spoons began to apparently bend themselves. Matches were lighting themselves, and small fires were started around the house on their own. That, which, could, be, that could be useful, honestly. That could be Peggy trying to cook. <laughs> <laughs> the stove isn't working. We're really maligning this very sweet British woman. <laughs> Peggy did not deserve it. Sorry, us. you got stuck in this timeline. Yep. Doors and drawers would open and close on their own. As Evan mentioned, the curtains were seemingly going to attack Janet and wrap themselves around her neck one time, which, according to her, was one of the most traumatizing parts of this because it really put into perspective that whatever was going on could physically hurt her. So apparently there's a photo of something pulling the curtains, and you can't really tell if it's just like that's something stuck to the curtains on the bed, but it does kind of look like something's pulling on the bed sheets mm. and the curtains so it is very interesting creepy but also as is common in most hauntings whether it's poltergeist or otherwise electrical equipment such as cameras and recorders begin to malfunction very regularly it, uh graham morris said that he was going through batteries on his cameras like crazy his flash bulbs were burning out like almost instantaneously as he put mm. a new one in so a lot of this stuff happens, and no one really knows why. They theorize that it's because this activity feeds on electrical phenomenon, and I don't know if that's true, but it could be. Plausible. Yeah, this is one of, like, ghosts are powered by, like, electrical devices. Ghosts so are powered it. by periods and electrical, electrical devices. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dangerous Our combination. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't mix the two. Blood and energy. Right. <laughs> Blood and energy. <laughs> In addition to electrical equipment malfunctioning, random pools of water were apparently appearing in the kitchen, and then once you mop it up, (laughs) (laughs) this is a very moist case. Random pools of water would appear when you mop them up. They would just come back. And there was one time where I don't think we've mentioned apportation yet or described Mm -hmm. what that is, but... This is interesting. Apportation is the idea that an object could physically move to a different area kind of teleport but a lot of the times it will travel through other solid matter so for one example from this case they began to test whether this is something that janet could influence because at this point they obviously saw that this was focused on janet specifically so they gave janet a pillow and they said Okay, try to send this through the floor to the bottom, like the main floor of the house, which is just a a wild thing to go in and ask a girl on a normal day. But (laughs) apparently she tried to do it. And like shortly after the other two left the room while she was trying to do it, it just ended up on the roof. And this is crazy because apparently there were multiple witnesses outside that saw the pillow on the roof. They didn't see the window open, and they because the wind she would have had to lean outside the window and like whip it up to get on the roof. Nobody that said they saw this 
saw her doing that. So apparently it just went through the like ceiling, landed on the roof. And it's funny because Guy Playfair gets stuck trying to get it off. So he's like, I was hanging out that window trying to grab this pillow for like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this ghost and pillows just not. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess it's got a thing for pillows. Yeah, to the pillow talk again. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except it's outside. Now. Outside, maybe it's on. just trying to st- tell him to stargaze with them. <laughs> oh man, it's called setting the mood. Ever heard setting of it? Setting the mood. And above all of these things seems to be what is not one of the most contested phenomenon, but one of the most talked about in the investigators' minds. Guy Playfair and Maurice Gross talk about this a lot in their interviews, and that would be the levitation. So according to more than one witness, Janet was seen to have levitated off her bed on multiple occasions. One of these sightings was by a woman named Hazel Short, who was a crossing guard, or as the British like to call them, a lollipop lady. Lollipop lady. On December 15th, 1977, she was working outside the Hodgson's house and saw Janet floating in her room through the window. (laughs) You'll never get this. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you can't do this. (laughs) According to Short, quote, All of a sudden I hear a bang and saw a book hit the front bedroom window and that was followed by a a pillow, then the book, (laughs) then the pillow again. (laughs) All of a sudden I saw Janet going up and down in front of the window. I thought she was jumping up and down on the bed. But when I looked, she was horizontal going up and down with her arms and legs going everywhere. I suppose it was about half a dozen times. Kind of terrifying. You've got to trust a lollipop lady. Right? It's either that... I mean, you can't jump that way. Like, if, if, if it's like, for example, Janet trying to be a little shenanigan have unless you Ultimate just have horizontal jumper you have crazy core strength <laughs> seriously at 11 or 12 years old oh you have to like lot i don't even i can't even no i'll try i'll try to demonstrate it but i don't think i can <laughs> and now for our other video segment evan, evan will practice <laughs> evan evan hip thrusting until he catches He's air a great the horizontal launch. put that put, on our tic tac tic tac write that down write that down but this is also interesting because there is another man who is nearby who claimed to have seen this happen, and he saw Janet actually bumping into the window, and he was nervous because he thought that she was going to bump the window open and like fall out of the window. She could fly, so she probably would be okay. That is yeah, true. So she's all right. She's <laughs> or actually it was, X-Men. It was just trying <laughs> right. to get her onto the roof for the pillow. Next pillow. Target, yeah. <laughs> and for my next trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is interesting and i believe it was kirian from the documentary that mentioned how interesting it was that there was two independent witnesses of each other that mentioned the same thing without talking to each other and without really having too much prior knowledge i mean they probably knew that something weird was going on at the house but they didn't know that a girl could float around so <laughs> it is interesting and there are even supposed photos of javit Lev- janet levitating taken by Graham Morris's remote automatic camera in the girl's room. And this is where I want to mention, again, they had no privacy. They had cameras set up in their bedroom. Yeah. Right. Peggy's like, yep, go ahead. 
Sure. My pre my adolescent daughters. Go for it. Might as well. I don't mind if we're trying to fly away. I'd want to fly away too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Disappear. Try to like a paparate or whatever it was to myself to the roof. Yeah. yeah. Right. Poof. And these photos, you can find them online. They're mm. one of the most famous imagery from this case. And they recreate it in the conjuring too. Think of it what you will. Mm. I it could be, could not be. I'm not gonna take a point either way. I just look for yourself and you can make a decision based on what you see. We'll post them on the social medias at gems underscore history on Twitter. And so to everyone involved, it, if it wasn't clear before that Janet was definitely the focal point for this activity, it was now pretty clear. At one point, she was even dosed with Valium to help her sleep at night. And the reason that they suspected that she was the focus was because there was a big change going on in her body. She was going through puberty. As we've mentioned before, for whatever reason, that's a big point in these types of cases. It usually centers around puberty-age girls going through their first period. Poltergeists like blood. (laughs) They're actually (laughs) vampires. Yeah, right. Fresh blood. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like there's other ways they could get it, but they have their ways, I guess. Well, I mean, just like in like occult things and activities, right? Or just in general, which activities? Maybe it's made up. Maybe it's an actual real thing. But it's like sacrificing a virgin as well, like the blood of a virgin. You hear that, and because like, it's pure, yeah, because it's yeah, pure, sure yeah, peers. like entered. I guess in this case, untainted. Just, yeah, I think in this case, it's more just that during that stage of life a girl's emotions are going to be all over the place. Yeah, so very stressful. It's a, a very easy thing for, if it is true, the theory that they feed off of high emotion, it's going to be very easy for something like this to get more activity going off of something like this. So, mm. According to many paranormal psychologists, as I just mentioned, the heightened emotion going through, and as Guy Playfair calls it in Janet's case, her, her monarchy... Her first period. Feed the what energy did he of the call poltergeist. It? Her monarchy, which is another word for a, the first signs of menstruation. First blood. I, no. look, I had to look it up because I was like, what is that word? <laughs> for a hot sec, I thought you said malarkey. Like, <laughs> yeah. wow, he's just throwing shade at the, <laughs> at the female oh, body. Oh, yeah, your period. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a whole lot of malarkey. It's so funny watching him in the interviews talk about it, though, because he's just he won't look directly at the camera when like he talks. Super about... uncomfortable with it. Yeah, yeah. He's just like sitting sideways on his chair, like kept looking away as he's trying to talk about it. And he hesitates before saying it. He's turning red. <laughs> <You're> red. <laughs> so with all this going on, Janet's nighttime behaviors were still going crazy with the levitation. And she began to constantly fall out of her bed. And it was said that she was being thrown out of her bed, but there was really no way to tell one way or another if that was true. Even after being given the Valium that I mentioned earlier, Graham Morris said that it took two grown men to keep her restrained in her bed. She was strong for 11. Yeah, well, she was athletic. That's, so, tr- I mean, that's true. She was just lifting. I mean, we talked about her core strength already. <laughs> yeah, so. she, yeah, that's true. Man, hovering. need that poltergeist strength. Like, right. screw the gym. I need to, yeah, I need to go Good on her, soul. like, CrossFit. Her, right? Her poltergeist yeah. fit. Needs to be my, that needs to be my trainer, man. Yeah, right. 
Once she did fall asleep after being given the Valium, those in the house heard a crash in their room and found Janet laying on top of a dresser in the corner of the room draped over the top of the radio. And there's pictures of her like on top of it with her uncle in the picture. And no one's really sure how she got up there. And upon looking at her, it was found that she was still asleep. So yeah. either she's just a very vicious sleepwalker <laughs> or ultimate parkour back then. Or she just knocked herself is out. able to fight through Valium and right. somehow wake herself up enough to go up there and then fall back asleep immediately. So I don't know. Maybe she's just like the most spectacular girl in the history of the world. <laughs> By the end of December, so as you can remember, this started in August. We're in December now and it's still going. And this is where the poltergeist kind of reaches its height. Between Janet's new ability to seemingly levitate, as well as pass solid objects through walls, you'd think there'd be, be reaching the limits of what she could do, right? Yeah, That's what you think. think. so. Plateau at some point. But... But wait, there's more. But that's <laughs> when the voices started. <laughs> Satan! <laughs> <laughs> She became one with the poltergeist yeah. and went through yeah. the walls. I mean, she pretty much does at this point because among the 100 plus hours of recordings that Maurice Gross and Guy Playfair took, we have the luxury of being able to access recordings of Janet speaking in a completely different voice than her usual 12-year-old female voice. She can now speak in a voice that is usually described as a gruff old man. And aside from the sound of her voice... The voice was also using quite vulgar language at this point. I'm intrigued now. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) But what Janet basically said when she was asked about what it felt like when the voice was coming through is she said it felt like it was coming from behind her head. But instead of me just telling you about it, how about we listen to a few examples of this voice so you can hear for yourself. So this first one that I'm going to play is Janet in her, her new voice singing row 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 your boat for you <laughs> that was gonna be great it, a classic a beautiful rendition <laughs> row, row, row the boat. <laughs> Dude, what was the swear i don't know i think it just said fuck off <laughs> oh fuck your boat <laughs> <laughs> but let me remind you that voice is coming from an 11-year-old girl. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely insane. So this next one is the voice talking about how whoever it is possessing Janet talks about how they supposedly died. So a little different than that childish nursery rhyme. But this one's also interesting. And the voice you hear at the beginning is Maurice Gross's son, who is, I believe... They call him a solicitor. I don't know what that means in Europe. I don't know if that's like a lawyer or what, but they keep talking about it like he's got more credibility because he's a solicitor. Huh. But he's the one that you'll hear at the beginning. I want you to tell me whether you remember what happened to you when you died. Just before you died and just after you died. Days before I died, I died. I went blind. Then I had an emerge, and I fell asleep, and I died in a chair in the corner downstairs. 
That's pretty creepy. So as you can hear, the voice says that it went blind, and then shortly after that had a brain hemorrhage, or a hemorrhage, which we'll find out it will be a brain hemorrhage in the chair downstairs. So now we're getting more information about who this is. And this last one is, I just thought this was interesting, because they don't play this, those first two, not the, row, row, not the row your boat one as much, but that second one they play in pretty much all of the documentaries. And I tried to pick ones that weren't as commonplace in the documentaries, and this last one I thought was interesting because the voice kind of describes how it takes energy or how it gets energy, and it talks about how it can't take energy as much from old people, and that's why it focuses on young people. So I thought it was interesting. Let's see what you guys think. No. Well, what's age got to do with it? What, what difference does it make? How take energy from young people, not old ones. Oh, you only take energy? Yes. Why can't you take energy from old people? I use it all in the day. Pardon? I use it all. Oh, old people use more energy during the day. And, and do young people store it up then? Yes. Reminds me of Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Right. It's a crazy voice. Like, it just, if you've seen a picture of Janet, just imagine her speaking in that voice. Yeah. And there, there is interviews of her doing it during the interviews and stuff. It is pretty crazy to, like, to see. Kind of sets out one of the more popular quotes from the ghost that, like, like that's on the documentary. I know. Exactly. Because that's such an interesting tidbit of... This is why the ghost is always, or ghosts are always messing with younger people. Right. They just have more energy to expend and like, we have to go to work and oh, have responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, Gross. Sorry, my nine to five is getting in the way of me being possessed. Uh, (laughs) Possessed more bartenders. I I might be a target, actually. Are they sapping all your energy? Not like this. Maybe they'll help you out. That's true. They, hey, I can stay up longer. They'll slide you glasses down the right? bar. When oh, they need to dude, be if I could just like grab things or use things and throw them towards me. Oh, hell yeah. Perfect. So as you can hear from those three examples, this isn't what you would normally guess a 12-year-old girl might sound like, I would assume, if you heard this out of context. Smoked a lot of cigarettes, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ripping darts. And obviously this did impress Maurice and Guy quite a bit. They did have a speech specialist come by and figure out how she could possibly be doing this. And it was told to them by the speech specialist that Janet was using what are known as false vocal folds, which reside pretty much behind your normal vocal cords. And these folds, also known as vestibular folds, which is like the scientific term for it, They can be used to create this type of speech, and this is how a lot of metal bands, how the people that do the screaming type of vocal, they use their false chords to create that sound, and that's how they're able to make crazy noises, which I have done in the past, but it is very difficult to get good at doing it if you don't know what you're doing. And if you're not trained properly using these type of vocals for... Anywhere longer than a few minutes may cause you to lose your voice if Mm. you're not doing it correctly. And if you continue to do it, it can permanently damage your voice if you do it for really prolonged periods of time, like weeks, months, years, whatever you want to say. 
But by all accounts, Janet was able to do this voice for over an hour at a time. And she did this for, I believe they said she would do it for like three weeks. So, oh my gosh, that's pretty wild. And she never got hoarse and never lost her voice. So, either this girl figured out a very, at the time, unknown style of vocalization, or she had some weird thing going on. And one thing that I thought was interesting is they did different experiments with this because a lot of the times they would do this, they would leave a recorder in the room, in their bedroom. And then they would go outside, so they wouldn't actually witness her talking. But they would ask her questions like from outside the door. And there was one instance where Maurice Gross's son was going to, op- or it might have been Graham Morris actually, but one of the people on the scene at the time was going to open the door during the session. And he went to go grab the door handle, and Janet, in that voice, said, close the fucking door mm-hmm. without him actually opening it at all. So it kind of predicted it. And then they also filled her mouth up with water and then taped her mouth shut with the water inside. And they said that she was still producing the voice with that happening. And then after they took the tape off after the session, she did spit the water out. So weird. either she was taking that out, the water out in between, and then finding new water to put in at the end before they came back in, or... Something weird's happening. She she's super moist. <laughs> <laughs> so they also try to like get a ventriloquist too, right? To like yeah. even see like, is it possible for someone to do this like that deep of a voice, let alone an eleven year old girl? I'm pretty sure they said like, yeah, that's not a chance. Yeah, and like ventriloquist said, there's a chance of someone doing something like that, but. I just don't know how she would be able to do it expertly like that. Untrained. Yeah. yeah never done without, before. Unless she just practices in a room all day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird. But obviously it's easy enough to explain this away because there is a way to do it. So it, like I said, it just depends if you want to believe or you don't want to believe on this. It's up in the air either way because both sides have an argument as they do with most of the things in this case. So I just, it, it is, Probably one of the more interesting aspects of this case, though, in my opinion, just because we have so much recorded footage of her doing the voice and like the little video footage too. Yeah, and the different ex- like experiments that they did with the water and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just so crazy to me. Yeah, I think I think it's very interesting. But as we heard in in the uh, voice that Janet is doing, she did mention how someone died, mm-hmm. and that someone would soon be found out. Janet did mention a name during these talking sessions, and that name was Bill Wilkins. It was kind of up in the air on whether this was actually who this was. And a few years after the case ended, a man named Terry Wilkins, who claimed to be Bill Wilkins' son, got in contact with Maurice Gross after reading Guy Playfair's book, This House is Haunted. He sat down with Maurice Gross and confirmed everything that the voice claiming to be Bill said, that his father did go blind in the house and did die from a brain hemorrhage in the chair downstairs while his wife was away at the store. So now, this entity is seemingly portraying new information on who it is. So, it's strange, but it's still debated on whether it's 
strange enough to be unbelievable or not. But with so many people on the street and the neighbors now being so involved, along with police, news reporters, local clergymen, it is possible that the girls overheard someone in the house talking about previous tenants, and they just kind of put together bits of information here and there that a man named Bill Wilkins used to live there and died. It's also been proposed that Janet was using this newfound vocal ability of hers to act as though she was someone else in order to use the vulgar language that the voice was using without being reprimanded for it. And some of the sources also say that Janet and the voice were asking questions about periods in puberty, suggesting that Janet was using the voice to avoid an awkward conversation in her normal everyday girl voice and using this to kind of disguise it as someone else asking. That's one way to do it. So awkward conversation. I, mean, I could definitely see potentially like I just wanted to kind of do a couple swear words on national TV. So. Yeah. Right. It, I, and those are good reasonings behind it, but none of them really explain how she was doing it. They explain why mm. and the motive behind doing it, but they don't really give an explanation as to how she was able to do it so well and for so long. So yeah, for weeks yeah. At, or hours at a time for three weeks. Yeah, it is. It is still a very interesting point, nonetheless. But at this point in the case, the SPR was getting a bit disillusioned that Maurice and Guy were the only ones putting this case together. In terms of a good investigation, it was hard for outside members to look at what the duo was doing without being a bit skeptical of the motives. Mm. The, the two had basically lived in the house for months now, and as mentioned earlier, Maurice was beginning to pass off things that could probably be easily explained away as the result of the poltergeist without doing proper investigations on some of it. And in addition to that, the SPR was a bit peeved that the media had never actually been invited in by the society, but rather been invited by outside sources such as the family themselves or their friends. So eventually... A committee was set up by the SPR to go back over Maurice and Guy's work to see if what they were doing was up to snuff. But before that happened, the activity in the house continued pretty much unabated. And in July of 1978, 10 months after the activity had began, Janet was admitted into the hospital for medical testing. A psychiatrist named Peter Fennick claimed that he examined her from head to toe to find out if something mentally or physically could be wrong to be causing some of the stuff that was going on, but came up with nothing that would be a possible explanation, and Janet was dismissed with a clean bill of health. Right. Like, wasn't really anything psychological going on, which I thought was probably the biggest thing that stood out to me, <clears throat> that this girl who was seeing things, like, that kind of is a point against like skepticism like yeah she's just totally fine she's good yeah and a lot of cases there's sometimes an unknown disability or something that someone has that maybe could be causing something like this but mm -hmm. she was completely clean according to this this doctor so while she was away things had settled at the house a bit and when she got back home the family decided that maybe it was a good idea to take a vacation. We're going to Malibu. <laughs> yes. No, they went to Essex, which is not ex as exciting. No, not nearly. <laughs> London Malibu. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> They're going to Sandals, Essex. 
where it's still somehow crappy weather in the <laughs> middle of summer. It's just as gray as the rest of Britain. Yeah. <laughs> Britain, notoriously beachy. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. I can't go to those, can't wait to go to those scenic beaches over in the UK. Peggy's brother, who lived down the street, took care of the house while they were away, expecting the activity to kind of be subdued while they were gone. But according to him, it wasn't. He said that while he was watching the home, John is his name, claimed to have looked into the kitchen and seen the apparition of an old man sitting in one of the chairs at the table facing away from him. He asked who it was, but once he looked away for a second and then looked back, the apparition was gone. And he said he rocketed out of the house after that. Oh, I would be gone. Yep. That'd be a Kool-Aid man type imprint. Oh, no. You people stop saying, oh, no, in this courtroom. <laughs> Eventually. It's on that, like, sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. It's out of all the times for it to show itself in a way. It's for him. It's for that guy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Seems a little sus to me. I mean, it, yeah. could, it could be that Bill, if it is Bill finally thought ah the house to myself i can finally show myself you just wanted some guy time right you just didn't expect a visitor to come in it's like oh god you're still here (laughs) can you just leave me alone (laughs) i want to be by myself but apparently he also had an an encounter at the house when he went to go retrieve i believe it was an alarm clock at the house and he went into the room upstairs to get it and before he got into the room, the door opened for him on his own, on its own. And then after he got into the room, it closed behind him. And then he couldn't open it for a little bit. And then it opened again. And then he just got the hell out of there. So there's a lot of stuff happening to this guy named John, I guess. Like, why go back for an alarm clock? Yeah, right. Just I buy a new that house. That's just like. You don't I think, need it that bad. I think nope. this is when the family was officially staying at his house, like uh, for a weekend or whatever, just to get out of the house. So I don't know. Either way, eventually the case did begin to wind down after over 12 months of investigations. There was always various new people coming around the house, including more religious figures who attempted to calm the family down and held meditations. And eventually, Guy Playfair was contacted by a Dutch reporter friend of his who put Guy in contact with a medium who claimed he could stop the activity from happening. This man, whose name was Dono, who didn't speak English, by the way, sure, came in and spent some time with the family using a translator, Janet specifically. Janet wasn't the translator. He was spending time with Janet. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that was not a good way to phrase that. One of the voices that she was saying was actually a small Dutch man. <laughs> she, she somehow <laughs> yeah. learned Dutch in the interim. Uh, this, he spent time with the family and then went upstairs by himself for around 20 minutes. So God knows what he was doing up there. When he came back down, though, he said it was over. And in fact, it would be. And well over, after well over a year, around 14 months, things are pretty much back to normal. So Wild. don't know, don't know what I, this strange Dutchman did in that room upstairs. Apologies, you mean Dunno. Yeah, uh, know the yeah. Dutchman. Yeah, I don't know what this Dutchman did in that room for 20 minutes by himself, but I guess he did something good. Good for him. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, it's just because it, like magicians came in in this time period. I believe one of them just didn't understand. He was an American magician, so he couldn't understand Janet's thick accent. So he ran into her in the hallway one night. <laughs> 
and just couldn't understand what she was saying, so he just threw flash paper and then just ran away. <laughs> so, <laughs> Smoke loud! I only saw that in like one source that I use, but <laughs> apparently that happened. It's just oh it's so funny to me. Distraction. Yeah, it's <laughs> just the most American thing to do is just when you don't understand another culture, you just run away. <laughs> or wipe it out, but <laughs> yeah, that too. But okay. I bet you're asking, what happened to cause this, and why did it stop so suddenly? Is that what you guys are asking? I, that's awesome. I'm, 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 I'm super tired. Okay, okay, I'm just making sure I'm not just jumping the gun on these questions. So, Well, as we've mentioned, most theories revolve around Janet and her puberty, coupled with the distressing family, distressing family situation, creating a very high emotional state in the household. And some reports have even mentioned the idea of RSPK, or Recurrent Spontaneous Psychokinesis, which has been mentioned in other cases, and I believe I mentioned it in the Annalisa Michelle or Mickle exorcism case that we talked about in one of our Gems of Horror episodes. Oh, yeah. So the basic idea behind RSPK is that some people's brains will release massive discharges of energy and affect their physical surroundings in ways similar to poltergeist activity. So this is mainly seen in cases of people with epilepsy for whatever reason. It's just that it's a way for their body to cope and kind of settle them down, I guess. And I found an article from the American Psychology Association from 2016 that claims that this has been witnessed in a 21-year-old male epileptic. So... There is some basis for RSPK being a thing, I suppose, but Plausible, also like. Janet had a clean bill of health, so she I don't know. not an epilep- epilepsy, epileptic? Epileptic, yeah. But if you're looking from, from the Spectives perspective, Spectives perspective, welcome back to the Spectics perspective. <laughs> the Spectics of history. Spectics. Spectics perspective. <laughs> do, 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 do. But if you're looking at it from that way, the supposed levitation where she's falling out of bed could be seen as epileptic seizures, and True. this could be seen as RSPK as an effect of that same epilepsy. So, I mean, there is links to be made for some of this stuff if they just didn't diagnose her correctly. So, I don't know. Maybe. I'm just putting that out there. And as far as the ending of the poltergeist... It kind of just seems like that could just be the normal course for a haunting like this. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, usually these things burn themselves out rather quickly. So it just seems as though this one might have lasted a bit longer. And perhaps it was just feeding off the energy of Maurice Gross and the family better since they got so invested in it. And Maurice Gross and Guy Playfair were always around. And a few more boxes to check before it was done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a, a few more boxes to chuck. Did you have that, that too? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeet. Or perhaps the skeptic's view is closer to the truth, because many people have pointed out that this ca- case is probably a hoax throughout the years. And if you're a skeptic, that's probably what you're thinking right now. Mary Rose Barrington, that I mentioned earlier, the member of the SPR was the one put in charge of the investigation of Maurice and Guy by the SPR and came to the conclusion that they could not definitively say if this was a genuine haunting, but she did voice her doubts about Margaret and especially Janet's possible pranking in the case. And as Evan mentioned earlier, in subsequent years, the two girls have come out and admitted to faking some of the activity, but claimed that in total they may be faked around 2% of it. 
And they also claimed that every time they did fake something, Maurice or Guy would catch them. But this little claim swings the door open for skeptics to step in. And if some of the activity was fake, who's to say that all of it wasn't a fraud? Those who do not believe in the Enfield case have their various explanations for all of the phenomenon which you can find online. Some of, the, some of them say that the family did it for the fame. Others say that the girls just wanted attention and didn't want to lose that new father figure in the house, Maurice. But whatever side you fall on in this case is up to you. In the end, whatever happened did affect the family, though, because after the events, it was said the Hodgins were never a particularly happy family. They were all deeply influenced by these events, and we talked about it earlier in, the, in her interviews for The Conjuring 2. Janet still looks haunted. To this day, her and her sister defend their statements that the story of the Enfield poltergeist was genuine, and their stories have not changed. As for Peggy, she did live in the same house on Green Street until her death in 2003. Maurice Gross and Guy Playfair have both since passed away as well. But the story of the Enfield poltergeist of 1977 will likely never die and will carry on in an online conversation and in paranormal history as one of the most well-documented cases of paranormal activity up to this point in history. Definitely super interesting, that's for sure. Lots of random things going on. Yeah. And with just how many recordings, like we're talking a ton of hours yeah, the amount of, of actual footage and recordings. Yeah, and the amount of witnesses, the amount of recordings, the amount of footage we have in video for mm. interviews. And obviously witness statements are notoriously not reliable most of the time because there's so many things to influence it and there's so much confirmation bias involved and stuff like that. But when there's multiple independent witnesses saying they saw the same thing without speaking to each other about it. That's where it becomes interesting to me and becomes more compelling to that side of the story. So there's, there's just so many ways to look at it. So it, this is really a case where it just comes down to whether you believe in this stuff or not. So I don't think this is going to be the case that puts you onto the other side of the fence one way or another. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is a very interesting case nonetheless, and that's why it's, as I said, endured this long. So It is crazy that so much interest is in this. Like, obviously, there is the interest because it's so well documented. But in our reality, no one really got too hurt No, during mm-hmm. this. Like, the classic, like, your classic hauntings usually end with someone, like, dying or getting severely injured or something like that. Like, Randley's girls definitely got, like, traumatized for sure. You're forgetting about the photographer who got hit by a Lego, Lego brick. That's true. Pour one out for him. He almost lost a little bit of his eye. <laughs> he had a bump for a couple days. Oh, and I bet you're wondering that we got through this entire episode without mentioning the fact that the Warrens came. That's because none of the documentaries, barely any of the articles, ever mention that they come because they came for like two days, I believe, unannounced took a couple pictures and videos, and then left. Yeah, and they were out of there immediately. Yeah, and there is a small that small interview in The Conjuring 2 post-credits or whatever you want to call it, where Janet and Margaret do meet up with uh, Lorraine Warren in real life again at the end, and they do remember her and like give her a big hug and stuff. So they did have some sort of relationship with the Warrens, 
but it just doesn't seem like they're a major player in this case specifically. So that's why we didn't mention them because they're not in it. <laughs> and most of the time they usually take cases like this and use them for their own benefit because Ed and Lorraine Warren were not the most reliable people in the world when it came to the later part of their career, especially mm. Ed. So they're not as great of paranormal superheroes as people make them out to be. Mm. Great movie stars, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're also not as hot as the actors yeah, they're not in the Conjuring yeah. movie. They're just this really normal-looking elderly couple. Right, so. yeah. <laughs> but that is the story of the Enfield Poltergeist. I hope you guys enjoyed it, because I know I had a lot of fun researching this, and it's just interesting tr- getting both perspectives on stuff like this. So, Right, yeah. On this show, we typically lean towards the uh, wild and wacky. And believing like in poltergeist, but it is very interesting to see the the skeptic the skeptics part in it yeah. as well because it's also very warranted and I definitely see their points. Yeah. But definitely see both points. Casey, since you're technically not a like a, a formal part of this podcast, you're a guest, we can ask you what you think. I can form an opinion. Yes. yes. You, you can have an opinion. So I think Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, in your opinion, do you lean more one way or the other, or are you kind of in the middle? Oh, I definitely lean more towards it being real. Okay. I mean, there's too many credible sources and the documented videos and the hours of just recordings of just her talking is just, I mean, if that was fake, she would have slipped at some point. I mean, no one, no one that age could pull that voice off that long. Oh, I, just, right. I don't buy that for a second. Yeah. Yeah, when you think about it, if you're on the believer side, it's 14 months mm-hmm. of them trying to keep together this storyline of pranks that they've been doing. And they also have to try and follow the correct pattern of a poltergeist, which they didn't even know what that was if you believe that they are telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a very good point. Is there one piece, is it the voice that really sold you on it, or was there something along the way that just the whole thing. I mean, the whole thing along the, the whole the whole story itself has validity in my book. But the voice and the levitation and like those supposedly floating through walls and stuff, that's, I mean, how are you faking that, first of all? That's just not, I don't see any way you could fake that, especially back then. Yeah. Even now it would be hard to pull off. Yeah, right. Well, there you have it, Casey, certified believer. Let's go. So you have to fight with him if you don't believe in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, let us know at home. We'll be posting photos and stuff and a poll and get in the group and let us know your opinions uh, in there. And hopefully we'll hear from some of you and we can have some good conversations back and forth. Don't yell at each other. We don't need any of that. Yeah. Because that's most of the YouTube comments is just people yelling back and forth <laughs> at each other saying, it, it happened or it didn't happen. This is bullshit. Just, yeah. don't, just don't throw Legos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no throwing Legos in the group chat. Keep the Legos down. Well, I guess since Evan already jumped the gun and did the social medias at the beginning of the episode like an absolute madman, we don't really have anything else to plug. Unless, Casey, you want to plug your Instagram one more time before, yeah, before you head out? Sure. My Instagram, you can follow me at casespeed07. Now, um, if you want to go personally assault him on social media, you can do that. Let's go. <laughs> no, personally assault <laughs> yeah. You can throw some Legos my way. I'll catch. I'm pretty good at catching things. So. Yeah. But I hope you guys enjoyed this return to the spooky for the podcast. And I know I certainly did. Uh, we will be back with you guys next week. And hopefully you don't get too many spooky things happening to you tonight when you try and go to bed. 
<laughs> we'll talk just to you guys. It sounded like we were all really cold. <laughs> it wasn't even like, hey, ooh, ghosts like, usually drop temperatures in rooms, so it works. Yep. <laughs> but we will talk to you guys later.